Hello and welcome to Strengthening Recovery Through Strengthening Marriage, Healing from Pornography Addiction. This is Dr. Kevin Skinner with Jeff Stewart. Together we're going to be talking about how to strengthen an individual and a couple's recovery really through strengthening the marriage. That's right. And today we're going to be talking about specifically why marriage and porn don't mix. But throughout this series, we're going to be talking about marital CPR, yours, mine, and ours, and how to help them deal with their individual issues. And we're going to be adding additional uh, titles to this as we as we get them developed, because we have been working in this field for a long time. Jeff, uh, tell our listeners a little bit about what you do. I'm the director of LifeStar of St. George. It's a three-phase addiction recovery treatment program for individuals, and especially for couples who are recovering from sexual addiction. And in your work, you're working a lot with couples, and you're actually being able to implement some of the things we're talking about with them in your interaction in the groups and therapy. That's right. Our emphasis is on treating the whole system. We find that having the couple in recovery from the beginning increases the uh, treatment outcomes. Very important stuff. And, and I'm Dr. Kevin Skinner. I'm the author of Treating Pornography Addiction, The Essential Tools for Recovery. have been working with individuals and couples for more than 10 years, especially couples who are dealing with pornography as it's influenced their marriage. And you know, one of the things I've noticed, Jeff, is a lot of couples, they come in and they really don't have an idea of where to start. How do we deal with this? They're dealing with their own personal issues. He's dealing with an addiction in many instances, and she's trying to just discovered it, and she's trying to figure out, how should I respond to this? Right, absolutely. These couples are stunned. It it uh, paralyzes and traumatizes the relationship. And where many of these couples were uh, able to communicate and interact and and for the most part feel like they had a pretty good marriage, when this enters into the picture, it changes everything. You know, and so in this series, our whole goal is we're going to explore why pornography is so destructive to marriages. And because I think there's a lot of people out there saying, you know, why why are so many people getting divorced? Because of, of pornography, it's just pornography, right? That's right. And, and, and a lot of people are saying that. So we're going to be talking about that. Then we're going to talk about how to stabilize the marriage, really how to set it on a foundation so it can really start to reevaluate, you know, where are we going to go from here? And a lot of people are equating this um, to infidelity. That's right. right? And the, the comparison is very parallel in how it's influencing marriages. That's right. You ask a partner whose uh, husband, in most cases, is looking at pornography, and she feels like she's been cheated on with a live person. You know, and some of the research shows that at least 25% of the women have no, they don't separate out from their partner having a physical affair from actually viewing pornography. So for, for a significant amount of women, that's, a, a, that's real to them. Correct. It's never just pornography. And, and then we're going to also talk about how to begin this long process, and I really think that's a critical part, the long process of restoring the trust and helping both individuals heal from the trauma that they've experienced. Right. We can't have couples trying to fix this as a quick-fix solution. Uh, pornography itself is a quick-fix solution for dealing with pain, and we don't want to create that same problem in terms of looking for easy solutions. We want people to do the long-term work that it's going to take to get healthy. You know, and unfortunately, we live in a society that's so fast-paced that people want the, the drug, they want something to get over this now. And the research is pretty clear on this. This isn't something that you just get over quickly. You don't just stop viewing pornography in most instances. It takes time and it takes the right knowledge. And really helping the couple understand that's a critical part. Yeah, and for most of these people that struggle with pornography addiction, they've been struggling with it in most cases long before they were married. You know, and, and as you say that, I was just looking at some research last night, and a significant amount. I have, we're going to be talking about some of the some of the stuff we're going to be talking about. Jeff uh, is based upon legitimate research that uh, we've conducted, and I have a sample of men who've uh, 
you know, shared their experiences, over 4,500 men. So this is a large sample. And then we've got women, about 405 women who've taken on our online assessment to help us understand some of the trauma that they're going through. And we actually have these results. Just literally, I just pulled them up and have been doing the research on them and and looking at the results. And we're going to be sharing that in this series as well, really to give you a feel of, of truthfully what's really happening out there with pornography in the marriages. Yeah, we have to debunk the myths that are out there. And that's really what the purpose of this first uh, session is going to be this morning is debunking the myths associated with pornography and really understanding why marriage and pornography cannot mix. You know, and that's something that a lot of people just can't understand. I mean, literally, a uh, professor that I had uh, basically in the mid-90s, they were talking about enhancing the marital relationship through viewing pornography together, through watching it together. And I think more and more clinicians are saying, I'm not seeing too many people who are benefiting from that. Rather, I'm seeing a lot of couples who are struggling in their marriage because of it. And we'll talk about why. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so let's get into this, uh, especially some of the myths, because I think we really need to debunk some of the myths that are out there on pornography and marriage. That's right, and I think, I think the first myth that we're going to start off with is that using pornography alone does not have an impact on the marital relationship. You know, and as I've looked over that, there's just some of my specific thoughts. We know for, for one that when an individual has been exposed to pornography for extended periods of time, and, and you know, the research shows that many of them, as you stated earlier, they're starting in their childhood. And, and we'll get into that a little bit uh, later. But when you start into childhood and you're now into a marital relationship, which one's more powerful, viewing pornography or having sex with your partner? That's right. And a lot of these uh, individuals who are struggling with pornography addiction have started to develop what we call an arousal template early on with their pornography use where they've discovered and sort of trained the brain and the body to respond sexually to a certain flavor, type, and conditions of sexuality, which oftentimes involves uh, being solo and having specific conditions and things in front of them and fantasies and so on. And getting with a real person just isn't that isn't isn't that clear all the time and you're dealing with somebody who has you know a person opposite you who has feelings opinions um who's living a different life than you and who isn't going to be available for every single women fantasy that you might want you know and as i look at this that fantasy that you're just describing there what happens when an individual has been exposed for, to it for extended periods of time, they don't necessarily feel comfortable in social interactions. And that can include their, their marital relationship. And for a lot of single people, they have a hard time getting into the relationship because they haven't necessarily nurtured the relationship skills that are required to have a healthy marriage. Marriage requires work. And sometimes the pornography can be escape when there's conflict or there's tension. Oftentimes, in my experience, the individual who's using pornography uh, began using it um, as a way to deal with their pain. A lot of the times as a young person, they discovered it uh, when they you know, couldn't turn to a parent or they were struggling socially, um, and it became a way for them to feel like everything was going to be okay. So you learn that kind of a coping mechanism at a very young age. And just so our listeners are aware, you know, for many of the men who are involved with pornography, and we're going to make some generalizations today, we recognize that women are also involved in pornography. But you know, what age are they getting started? And, and the research is, is pretty clear that most of them are, would say on average, say 11. But I have some, a, the sample of 4,500, almost 22% of them saw pornography before age 10. 
That's right. So, so 22% of, of 4,000 men saw it before. And, and in age 11 to 13, four, additional 42%. And by the age of 17, 90% of the people in our sample had seen pornography. And this is such a dangerous time to be viewing pornography from a developmental standpoint because this is when uh, young people are transitioning into puberty. Uh, the hormones are, are going crazy. And they're doing a lot of identity formation. And they're starting to figure out what it means to be a young man or a young woman. And these, these gender stereotypes and ideas and templates are starting to form. And the brain is going through a tremendous amount of growth. And this would be the absolute worst time to be getting fraudulent messages about sexuality and gender. You know, and unfortunately then, as they, uh, many of them try to get into social relationships or dating, they aren't comfortable. Now, how are their marriage skills so to speak, their relationship skills, because they really haven't had a chance to nurture them in, in the fullness because many of them hold back because they're not comfortable. Yeah. I want to turn to somebody and have a regular relationship, but I can't see this person as a regular person. Or, or I don't feel good enough about myself that I will open up and, and really delve into who I really am. And sometimes they yeah. haven't developed who they really are because pornography has taken over. Yeah. And so... You can see that this whole using it by myself doesn't affect my marriage as a myth because what we know is that some of the hazards of pornography include, you know, withdrawing from others, developing a secret life, which is absolutely destructive to a marriage, having secrets and hiding, lying, deception. It makes you more self-centered. And you start to prefer pornography over real people. You know, and, and that, that also bears out in what people tell us as clinicians. Uh, individuals begin to not feel as comfortable opening up to their spouse. But at the end of the day, when you have an internal secret, the research also shows that you're more likely to have physical illnesses when you have inhibited things that you, you don't share with people. Secrets are very uh, unhealthy for us. To our, to our immune system, and it's also unhealthy for us as we progress in just developing our relationship skills. Yeah, I'm just reading a, a book right now called The Anatomy of a Secret Life by Gail Saltz. I don't know if you've read that book or not, Kevin. I haven't had the chance yet. But this book is interesting. One thing she says in there is that holding a secret creates an urge inside of you to let the secret out. And she says that it creates a, almost a physiological urge that you have um, that you know, can intensify this. So, so holding a secret in some ways can actually amplify your desire to act out because it's incongruent. There's a part of you that wants to share it. You need to talk about it or open because it doesn't match your values. You know, and when a couple can't openly talk about things like the, the pornography in the marriage, and it's oftentimes because it's been a secret for so long, they aren't comfortable talking about it. And if a person isn't, man or woman, isn't comfortable talking about pornography and how it's influencing their individual lives or them as a couple, then they begin to have a dis, I don't know, maybe a disassociation with each other because they don't share uh, a, a very common element of their lives. So if he's escaping with pornography or he's viewing it at work or he's viewing it late at night and, and she, she senses something's wrong, but she can't put her finger on it, she too might begin to pull away, not knowing why, but fearing that something's not quite right. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I look at this from an attachment framework. And by attachment, I mean the need that we all have to be safely bonded to another person for our well-being. And when pornography is involved, it becomes a counterfeit attachment. You start to turn to the pornography for comfort, 
to feel like things are going to be okay instead of turning to your partner. And when this is happening, even though your partner may not know about the pornography use, what she'll pick up on is the distance. She'll pick up on the fact that you're not coming to her, that something's off. And almost every single woman that I've worked with whose husband has been involved in pornography has told me that she looks back and can see that something was off. And and as she feels that something's off and she can't talk about it, then something happens internally inside of her, and she might he might be detecting that she's pulling away, and then he turns more to pornography because he doesn't know how to connect with her. And and one of the things that uh, you know, just looking at some of the research, just sharing that, you know, forty percent, forty seven percent of men, Jeff, distance themselves from their partner after viewing pornography. Yes. So a byproduct of a person viewing pornography by self is I'm. I'm a, going to pull away. They're self-selecting to pull away. It's not that their partner has rejected them. It's not that they're in trouble or got caught. It's that something happens inside of them that they shrink and pull away from intimacy. You know, and to add to that, the research also shows that when a person uh, views pornography, they increase the testosterone and dopamine in their system. And the consequence of that is they have less desire for social bonding. Right. And I'm also finding that when when those chemical changes are going on, uh, it desensitizes them to regular relationships where you can receive um, a fair amount of joy and pleasure and happiness connecting with a partner, having good conversation, looking into their eyes, touch, and really connecting when you've kind of, uh, I think of it as blowing out your speakers. You know, when you've blown out your speakers, the sound coming out just doesn't sound the same. And it's the same with, uh, with the brain once it's been exposed to a lot of pornography. A regular relationship is going to miss out on the nuances, the subtlety, and the different things that make connecting to another human so enjoyable. And you talk about that eye connection. When an individual has a secret, when they've been hiding something, one of the first things that goes is the regular eye contact that really helps couples know that they're connecting. Right. That attunement gets affected, and that's, that's also the universal sign for shame, which is the eyes going down, which indicates that something inside feels bad. And so when, when we look at this, the secrecy of pornography is very destructive to that, that, that basic element of a relationship of interacting with each other, trying to understand each other's needs, dealing with secrecy. All of those elements, Jeff, seem to be consistently damaged when couples are viewing pornography or an individual's viewing pornography or hiding it. Yeah, and, and I think that if it was something that uh, you know was good for relationships, everybody would just do it openly all the time. But that's not been my experience. What I'm seeing, and I think your research shows, Kevin, that... 70-plus percent of men who view pornography feel bad that they can't stop viewing pornography. Yeah, and in fact, that's exactly right. They said, I, I, I have told myself repeatedly that I'm going to stop, and 70% say, and I, but I have not been able to. So you can imagine that something internally is going on for these individuals who are struggling with this that changes the way that they dance with their partner because they feel like something's wrong and they can't stop it and they've got this secret now and it, it has to affect the relationship and we see that it does. So, so myth number one then, we're basically saying if, if we want to summarize it, how would you summarize it? I would say that looking at pornography by yourself in secret is really not that secretive. It's going to come out and affect the relationship, especially if, if, if you're really trying to build real intimacy. It's going to block it. It's going to prevent it. You're not going to be able to do it. And what you're going to have is a superficial, very disconnected kind of relationship. And when your partner pushes for more closeness and intimacy and so on, 
you won't be able to show up for that. And that's the, that's, that's the devastation of this. It's not a solo behavior. So, so then there's this argument today, Then let's move on to that, another myth, that I think it really uh, women should just uh, not worry about pornography and maybe even view it with their partner. You know, let's talk about the myth of that philosophy or that theory. Yeah, unfortunately, this is uh, becoming a much more popular view um, in, the, uh, in media and talk shows. I know that, uh, you know, one particular talk show in the last week, uh, she had, uh, you know, she had a, a porn star on there uh, talking about uh, working in the industry and how couples can use what she's, you know, all her products to help enhance their marriages and so on. This to me is one of the most destructive myths because now they're pulling women into it. Now they're pulling partners into it and basically shaming them and sending them the message that there's something wrong with them if they're not using pornography. Or comfortable viewing pornography with Correct. their spouse, right? If you're not comfortable viewing pornography with your spouse, there must be something wrong with you. Right. Well, what a message is what message are they really sending? In my opinion, they're saying, in you, if you don't accept this, that you're not up to the times. That's and right. you use the word shaming. I think that that's a very destructive part. And we're going to talk a little bit about how, how destructive that is to the relationship in a little bit. I think this is one of the most confusing myths out there for a lot of partners. And I see a lot of women coming in uh, feeling like and worrying like that, they, that there's something wrong with them, that they can't keep up with this. Um, I've worked with lots of couples where... Uh, where the woman gave in and decided to watch pornography with her husband, feeling like, well, I don't want to be a frigid woman. I want to be open and, and uh, you know, progressive and see what this is all about. And almost every single time I get the same response, which is, I noticed that during our lovemaking, he stopped looking at me and kept looking at the television screen or the computer screen. And that disconnect happened. And it's very damaging because she saw that the connection wasn't with her, it was with what was on the screen. You know, and that bears out, the research shows that 40% of uh, individuals who view pornography would rather be view pornography than be sexually intimate with their spouse. And so if it's taking away from the sexual intimacy, really, I'd rather watch pornography than be with my wife, then you know that there's some type of an issue that's entered into it. And if we're talking with women saying, well, you should just embrace this, just like you said, that story, when they would rather look at pornography than be sexually intimate with their spouse or really engaged with their spouse, boy, that's not going to send the message of I'm valuing you. That's right. It's going to create a message of my pleasure, you know, my intensity matters more than connecting with you. You know, and I want to add one other part to this. In our research with the women, we asked this question, Jeff, since discovering my partner's behavior, when I see sexually suggestive images, I feel anxious. And, and I would just to just go over some of the results, 38% said they always feel that way. So now these women who have discovered their partner's sexual behavior, they're out there in public, and if they see a billboard or they see something on the television, they see something on the magazine rack at the grocery store, 38% of them always are feeling anxious because of what their husband has been engaged in. And another 25% said, more often than not, I feel anxious. And about half the time, 15%. So 80% of the women have said, at least half the time, I feel anxious when I see something sexually provocative. 80% of them. Yeah. That, I... That's a significant thing. And if we're sending the message that you should just go embrace this with your husband, I think we're sending a very destructive message to the women and hurtful and harmful to them. Yeah, and I think that uh, another thing I see a lot is that, you know, even apart from 
being with someone who's looking at pornography, almost every woman that I've ever known and worked with professionally and even personally has struggled with body image issues. Women are being told that their bodies are not enough, and so they're being sold products. They are being told in magazines that they can get the perfect whatever because obviously what they have isn't perfect. So, I mean, there's just these fraudulent messages about what it means to be a woman. And so then you combine this already existing insecurity about her body, which she's being sold every single day, now with your husband is being turned on by all these other bodies and by all these other women, fantasies and so on. It's a double blow. Yeah, and, and let's add to that for just one second. When they say, I can't keep up with these images, it's impossible. And, and it, it also bears out in the research with the men who are involved with pornography. 30% surveyed said they get more excited with porn than they do having sex with their partner. So in some situations, that's absolutely right. 30% of the men, not, now that means that 70% don't feel that way. But nevertheless, there are times where it is overwhelming that a person would rather view pornography than be with their spouse, and it makes them more excited. That's extremely unfortunate because what does that take away from the marital relationship when a husband or a partner is less likely to engage fully in the relationship because their partner, it's not as stimulating as pornography. Yeah, and and Kevin, you know, um, like I do from working with couples and sexual intimacy for all these years, that what it takes to create healthy sexual and emotional intimacy in a marriage is slow, deliberate, thoughtful, patient work on the part of both members of the couple. Where with pornography, what you're being sold is instant pleasure, an endless variety, and it, it, just, it just creates this impossible standard to compete with that is, again, it's so fraudulent, and it's not, it doesn't match what real couples in long-term committed relationships are experiencing in their sexual lives. I... Um, if I can, I want to share with you an excerpt Yeah, go ahead. from a, uh, a book that I've been reading called The Porn Trap by Wendy Maltz and Larry Maltz. Highly recommend it. It's just a fabulous book. And one thing that she says in here, one paragraph, is uh, sh- Wendy is a, a sex therapist who used to prescribe pornography to the couple she was working with as a way to help them in their sexual lives. Mm-hmm. And she started to discover... Once the uh, internet became more popular and pornography became more available, accessible, that these couples were coming in distressed from looking at pornography. It wasn't enhancing anything. And here's what she says. She said, porn started to look like a compliant mistress who promised an exciting, personalized, highly charged erotic alternative to the mundane realities and complex challenges of sex with a real partner. Always ready, willing, reliably sexy. The porn mistress catered to the user's needs. It never got tired or old, never required emotional or sensual attention for, quote, herself, never said no or rejected her lover, and was always willing to explore any and all sexual acts or even invent new ones. I was shocked one day when one man disclosed that, even though he loved his wife and experienced satisfying sex with her, when he masturbated to pornography, it was the best sex ever. Wow. If you're the spouse in that situation, there's going to be some type of trauma. Absolutely. Right? And, and in the research that we're going to share in a little bit, you know, because I've been looking at, at how pornography influences that, that, you know, we're looking at the anxiety that it creates in these women. Because what we're seeing as clinicians, when a woman comes into your office and her 
anxiety levels are elevated. She's not sleeping well. She's having reoccurring thoughts. She's trying to avoid anything that's sexual or reminds her of her partner's pornography involvement. And she's experiencing intense fear and helplessness and sometimes even horror of, of what their, her partner's been involved with. When we start looking at the research on that, you, you, you read something like that. And when a sex therapist starts seeing the results the byproduct. And really, Jeff, that's what I think we are experiencing as clinicians, the byproduct of what pornography is doing to couples. And unfortunately, there's the media out there, there's the embracing of pornography that's saying everybody needs to be embracing this. But there's something that is intuitively, it's not working with many of these couples that we're working with. And we're here at the bottom of the cliff within our ambulance. We've got to find a way to put the, the fence up at the top to help these couples because as they go through this, they're trying to evaluate what should we do with this pornography. Right, and that's the whole purpose of this first uh, part of our series is debunking these myths because they're just not true. The, the, these are lies that are being sold to the public about and fraudulent messages about sex. And uh, one thing that uh, Jill Manning has said several times is that pornography is not sex education. Pornography is sex miseducation. And it's really harming couples mm-hmm. because of these messages. You know, and let's talk for a minute. I think another myth here that's critical for us to evaluate is how women really see pornography. Now, I, I, I want to be very clear here. I understand that there are women who are comfortable viewing pornography, who view pornography, who don't have a problem in, in the marriage. There are those individuals, which I haven't met any, but I've been told there are, Right. But the point is, how, how do these women respond to it? How are they really seeing pornography in their spouse's life? And, and what is absolutely fascinating to me, Jeff, is I have been looking at the trauma because I worked with Jill Manning and Shondell Knowlton to create an online assessment where women write about the trauma or the experience of seeing their partner's involvement with pornography or sexual behaviors. And so the questionnaires look at what we call post-traumatic stress disorder which is really what they discovered Vietnam War when people were coming home from the war they were you know they were having these reoccurring thoughts of the images that they saw at the war, in the war they are trying to avoid anything that reminds them of the war so they're avoiding the stimulus they're they're increasingly anxious they're fearful they're angry at times and and then the fourth actually really in the DSM4 of the uh, it's number 1 but it's they have intense feelings of fear and helplessness and what's interesting about this I started looking at this and we started looking at it because we started seeing our clients come in with those kind of emotions, fear, recurring thoughts, nightmares. And I started asking the question. And so we together, we developed this questionnaire. And what is absolutely amazing to me is that they're showing many of these symptoms and the research is now bearing it out that they are literally, they're experiencing PTSD. Some of them even are fearful that they're going to get AIDS. So could it, their fear that they're not safe, they could die because of it. Some of them are even showing that type of fear. So those are normal responses that we're totally, that the media totally is ignoring of the byproduct of, of uh, discovering a partner's involvement with pornography. Well, yeah, trauma symptoms certainly isn't good for business, you know, in terms of the pornography industry. So they're certainly not going to show the fallout from this. And, and you know what, what you're saying is so true, Kevin. The the partners that are coming in are telling us over and over again that they are overwhelmed by this. It's it's affecting every aspect of their lives. And yes, and some worry about physical danger in terms of disease and so on. And what I mostly see, especially from uh, partners of men looking at pornography, 
is that the life as they knew it has flashed before their eyes. And that's one of the biggest losses is I thought my life was this way. I thought this is what I knew and what was real. And all of a sudden, something flashes before my eyes, and what I, don't, what, I, what I know now is what I don't know. I don't know. Everything just is so unreal. I don't know which way is up anymore. I don't know what's real, what I can expect, what's true, what's not true. And so when I look at trauma, I look at overwhelming powerlessness, being able to – struggling to cope in the face of uncertainty – and so on. And that's what we see. You know, and in our sample, more than half of the women, in fact, uh, 77% of the women said, I experience intense feelings of indescribable fear since discovering my partner's sexual behavior. Over 75%, three out of four women have intense fear. Now, that's the part that I sit and these are, these are real women. These are people who are experiencing real trauma and we as a society, as clinicians, we see it. But many people who see neighbors getting divorced or women traumatized by this. And, you know, one of the things I want to be very clear on is these things are normal. What I mean, these traumas are normal. Yes. And our, they're your neighbor. There That's are people, right. and they oftentimes don't know how to talk about it. There's not a place for them to be able to openly discuss these things. And so my concern is that we have this whole new problem that's really we're not even able to talk about because many of them are uncomfortable going out in public and talking with a, a neighbor or a friend. And if they aren't doing any of that, they're keeping it inside. What's the byproduct of that? You, you've seen that. What's the byproduct of keeping it inside? Yeah, and I think what happens is that when, when they're getting this other message from society that says, this will help your marriage, lots of people are looking at this, lots of women find this exciting and you've got 70-plus percent of women that are saying they experience indescribable fear. You think those women are going to go talk to somebody about it? <laughs> right. And, and, They're going to think something's wrong with them, and that's part of the shaming that happens. And so they oftentimes stay in, in isolation, don't know how to talk about it, feel absolutely compared and judged by this. And so it's very destructive. It shuts her down. And unfortunately, there aren't a lot of places that you can go and say, hey, my partner's dealing with pornography problem. Well, so where do they turn? And if they keep it inside, we know that they're going to have physical symptoms of illnesses, increased uh, colds and flus. Uh, they're going to do other things to cope with their stress. That's right. And oftentimes it affects their parenting. It affects their work. It affects their ability to function. And many of these women, I would say the large majority of them, um, are highly functioning people before this. They're not, you know, they're not struggling with mental illness or you know, depression, anxiety, and so on. A lot of these women are living very healthy, productive lives and aren't struggling with the, you know, the types of mental health issues that, um, that you would think they would based on how they appear after they, they, they discover their partner's use. You know, and as you describe that, uh, one of the questions that we asked in our survey is, I'm still able to enjoy things since discovering my partner's behavior. And uh, this is interesting. 9% said, I'm never able to enjoy things. 25% uh, very rarely. And 36% said about half the time. So 70% of the people said... It affects... I, I, I'm, their ability. I'm, I'm not even able to find joy. I'm not, right. I'm not able to enjoy things. That's 70%. Half the time, their joy in life has been reduced. Right. And part of healthy marriage is being healthy as an individual. And if this is effectively shutting down your ability to have joy, to feel happy, 
and so on, then I think we need to pay attention to that. I think we need to take that seriously. And, and I think it's important for us to realize as a society that when a woman, woman has been traumatized by this, Jeff, that we need to step up to the plate and not judge it and not say, look, you just need to get over this. We need to step back long enough to respect them where they're at and, and uh, help them navigate through that. And we're going to be spending some more time with that because that's going to be the critical part of what's happening. So in this first part, we're really just trying to help you understand the normalization of what really happens in a marriage with pornography. Right. And if you're listening to this as a partner who's, you know, husband, boyfriend, significant other is struggling with pornography addiction, my message to you is that there's nothing wrong with you for feeling this way. You are having a very normal, healthy reaction, especially in light of what we know about healthy sexuality and healthy emotional development, is that living with someone with a secret, comparing yourself to impossible standards, and all these other fraudulent messages affect the way you feel about yourself and about intimacy. It absolutely will shut things off, and, uh, and that's not something that is wrong with you intrinsically. And, and let's look at the other side of that, because I think we also want to address this for the individual who's trapped in the pornography. We, don't, we aren't telling you this because we want you to feel more guilt or more shame. Absolutely not. We want you to understand that this is just the reality of what's happened because of pornography. And it's absolutely critical that you understand that pornography, starting at such a young age, has really been a dominant part of the life, of your life. And you're gonna, we're going to work through and teach you some strategies of how to reconnect as a couple so you can really strengthen the marriage by strengthening your own recovery tool uh, strategies. That's right. Yeah, and so we, we certainly don't want people to hear this and feel like that, there's, you know, that they're, they're bad or they're, you know, that's the last thing we want to do. The, the reality is, is that part of overcoming this is getting healthy messages and correct information about what's really going on here because so many people stay stuck in this because of the false messages, they believe, well, it's not that bad. It's, you know, they minimize it. There's a lot of rationalization and support in the popular media and so on for these kinds of things. But so much of it, most of it is, is false. Which I think also leads us to another, what I would call a myth, and that is that pornography is not addictive. Right. And, and I, just real quick, I think we need to address this. I, I had a question come to me recently from somebody who runs one of these large internet filter sites, and he said, you know, there's a big debate going on about whether pornography is addictive because no major organization recognizes pornography as an addiction. It's not found in the DSM-4. Uh, it's not found in any uh, professional literature as it being an addictive thing. So he asked the question, why do you use the term pornography addiction in your book? And I thought it was a very good question, and I believe that at this time, most major organizations haven't recognized it primarily because it's a relatively new thing. But the battle for that is going to be in a very intense one because the moment you say pornography is addictive, you've got a lot of other aftermath of that. And the pornography industry has tremendous amount of clout and resources, and if the moment you actually tie something and use the word addiction, then they're going to have more fallback in my in my opinion. And so I believe there's a lot of pressure not to use the word addiction with pornography because of the quote-unquote stigma or we don't want pornography to be seen this way because it's enjoyable and it's for pleasure and we can't possibly think that it's addictive. Yeah, I, it's the same message that I think people were being sold about cigarettes in the 1950s. 
you know, and and uh, it's the cool thing. Yeah, nobody was questioning it, and movie stars were endorsing it in movies and and uh, magazine ads, and there was advertising on television, which children had availability to watch, and and so what I think happened was, you know, for you know for a number of years, the the tobacco industry was able to um, have free reign on advertising and selling their message about cigarettes and and lifestyle and and so on. And I and I feel like in some ways we're living in the 1950s um, per se when it comes to pornography addiction, because you know it seems like there's there's a vocal minority that are trying to say, look, this stuff is addictive. People want to stop it, but they can't. It's damaging relationships. And the the more popular message that's out there is this is a lifestyle choice. It's not that bad. It doesn't hurt anything. I predict that in the next you know 20 plus years. We are going to see the collateral damage, the fallout from uh, the impact of pornography on individuals and relationships, and and uh, you know my wish is that that would happen sooner, so that we can get help and people don't have to suffer unnecessarily. But I believe that um, the second that this be- gets labeled as an addiction and the research starts really coming out and really showing this conclusively over and over and over again, it will get the attention of the pornography industry, just like it did big tobacco. And we're going to see a battle. And it will be a real battle. And, I, you know, the concept of it's not being addictive, I, I just want to address one of the core things related with addiction is desensitization. It's one of the things that we look at uh, with, with alcohol. They get more desensitized to it and they want more and more of it. So I'm just going to just give a couple samples of this to, to illustrate this. Um, this is from a study with 4,500 men. Images that used to be stimulating to me are no longer stimulating enough for me. Uh, basically 53% said those images that I used to see are no longer stimulating enough. They're not stimulating enough for me. And so that's the first part of desensitization is it it doesn't have as much, uh, it's not as appealing to me as it used to be or certain images aren't. Right. And if that were, you know, and if it really wasn't desensitizing people, then you would only need to have one or two porn sites out there. But the reality is, is that there's hundreds if not thousands of them going up every single day and week and there's an endless variety because that's required to maintain an addiction. You know, and adding to that, then we say por- pornographic videos or downloaded vi- porn clips that used to I used to think were gross or sickening are now common part of what I view in looking at pornography. And 36% of people, what they used to say was gross, and now view that on a regular basis. Right. Which is a to... clear sign of the desensitization and the escalation pattern that is associated with most, most addictive behaviors. So there's even an argument out there that you can't be desensitized to this, that it really doesn't in, in, increase in its intensity. Well, that's not, that's not, very, that's not happening with the research that I'm seeing. And um, here's, here's one that I actually think is, is even sadder. I have treated women and other uh, individuals in inappropriate ways due to my porn viewing, and about one in four say, "Yeah, I treat people more poor, more poorly, pushing for sex, those types of behaviors because of their pornography, which is again a desensitization." So it really stop. We stop seeing people as humans, and so when we go to the concept of addictive behaviors, I think that that's a pretty clear sign that we're starting to see that pornography also influences emotions. I have. Uh, one other question on here that relates with emotions, and I think it's a very telling of that, is I feel down and empty due to my involvement with pornography. And what, what percentage of people do you say feel down and empty because of their involvement with pornography? Just guessing. Um, in my clinical experience, I would say, you know, 80, 90 percent. And this is a sample of 4,500 men and 55 percent said that. 
down and emptying. But and some people say, well, that's not, not that much in you know seventy or eighty percent. But think about it: of four thousand people viewing pornography, these are people who are viewing pornography. Four thousand five hundred. Two thousand six hundred of them said, "I feel down and empty." Because of my actions, we have to pay attention to that. I mean, you can we can ignore that as a society, but that's just. I mean, these are individuals who are tired and going to work just out of energy because they've been involved with it. They've got the secret uh, with their spouse, not telling their spouse. They're looking at thirty-four percent of my sample viewed pornography while they're at work. And the tragedy of it for me, Kevin, is, you know, think about a, a husband, a wife, who is coming home trying to be a parent trying to be a community leader, involved in a church setting, somebody who's feeling down and empty at the core, feeling empty like that, it's sad. They, they, they can't give what they could give. And they want to so bad. That's right. And they feel so much shame, and they so, feel so much guilt, and it's altering their moods. I mean, one of them says, 50% of them says it dramatically changes their mood. 50% of them saying it dramatically changes my mood. Either before or afterwards, I am not. I'm not just dramatically shifting their mood. That's right. And so they they have to pretend, and that that all in itself is very shaming and very very guilt producing. Pretending not being who you really are, how damaging that is to the internal self. I believe that pornography destroys self worth to such a high degree that we have to work on the individual self worth as much as we do in dealing with the pornography and helping them reclaim their true self. Right, and so when you're dealing with trying to build marital intimacy, debunking this myth that pornography is not addictive, that it doesn't do any damage, that it's not keeping people trapped is an important one because what we're dealing with is somebody who's trapped, and when you're behind bars like that, there's no way you can get really close to your partner. Mm -hmm. If you're feeling down and low and empty, you're not going to have much to give, and that is very sad. And these are people who signed up in marriage because they wanted to feel connected. They wanted to feel whole. They wanted to give to someone else. And this prevents it from happening. And uh, thankfully, it's not a life sentence if you want to do something about it. And that's just it. We want to provide that hope. These are th- What we're trying to do is debunk some of the myths that are out there. You've got some other myths that you've got. That's right. W- one of the other myths that I think is, uh, is, is so damaging is the impact that it has on, on a sexual functioning in a marriage. And we've spoken about this a little bit, but I want to I just specifically run across a few, a few of the myths and, uh, and what's real about that. You know, in pornography, uh, what we see is that sex is a performance. It's you're doing something to someone else. It's using someone else. It's, it's, much, it's very much about taking from someone else. Where healthy marital intimacy is caring for someone, sharing it's a private experience shared between two people. It's a natural kind of drive, and it's a healthy thing, where in pornography, it's, it's, it's compulsive, it's public, it's separated from love, it's uh, hurtful. There's so much emotional disconnection going on, where healthy sexuality is emotionally close. It's safe, it's nurturing, it's building, it's respectful, and uh, it requires healthy communication and, uh, and eye contact and these kinds of things. And you just don't see those messages in pornography. Instead, couples are being sold that it's just about pleasure. It's just about intensity, about, about it being hot and exciting. And, and uh, while, you know, in a marriage, what we find is that in a healthy marriage, this is based on Barry McCarthy's research, that when sex is going well, 
when sex is healthy in a relationship, it accounts for about 15 to 20 percent of the relationship. You know, and, and, and that's, that's a wonderful thing. And so if you see, it's not, it's not a huge part of the relationship. In pornography, it is the relationship. In pornography, it defines the relationship. And it's so imbalanced, and there's so much emphasis put on it that it really distorts all the other healthy parts of a relationship that balance out a couple. You know, I love what uh, Dr. Norman Doidge said about this in his book, The Brain That Changes Itself. And I just, just want to share part of that. He says that pornography is more exciting than satisfying because we have two separate pleasure systems in our brains. Uh, one that has to do with exciting pleasure and one with satisfying pleasure. So he separates out the different pleasure systems. One's exciting, one is satisfying. And what's the difference? And this is very significant. He says, the exciting system relates to the appetitive pleasure that we get imagining something we desire, such as sex or a good meal. Its neurochemistry is largely dopamine-related, and it raises our tension level. The second pleasure system has to do with satisfaction or consummatory pleasure that attends to actually having sex or having that meal, a calming, fulfilling pleasure. Its neurochemistry is largely re- uh, the release of endorphins, which are related to opiates and give a, uh, give a peaceful, euphoric bliss. Pornography raises the tension level, sex with a partner releases endorphins, peaceful, euphoric bliss. I mean, and he separates it. This is one of the nation's leading neuroscientists who talks about the different exciting systems and how pornography does that. And clearly, pornography increases the tension level because the dopamine and the testosterone is increased. The endorphins, vasopressin, oxytocin are released more when couples are having sexual intimacy together. So it's literally, it's a different scientific, biologically, pornography and sex are very different. One bonds, one re. Uh, creates tension. Right. And so you're activating two very different systems. And oftentimes, one of my colleagues, Jeff Ford, says, he always asks, are you activating the marriage or are you activating the addiction? And recognizing that they're activating two very separate systems. One is bonding and one is disconnecting and creating tension. You know, the other, the other thing about um, sexual intimacy that I think is important to understand is that healthy sexuality involves honesty openness, authenticity, transparency. And when there's pornography, even though a couple may decide, well, we'll share this together, in virtually every case where I've seen that to be the case, the husband ends up, or the wife, in in whatever case it may be, ends up having a secret relationship with pornography that they're not sharing with their partner, which is so damaging. And, And that's part of that tolerance, is that they don't want to wait for their partner to be sexually ready. They don't want to do the work that it takes and it's not because they don't care about their partner. It's because pornography makes it hard to care. It makes it hard to wait because it's so intense. And so it, it just creates so much disconnection. And uh, couples will be so much better off learning how to be sexually healthy together and, uh, than by bringing in these other messages and behaviors into the bedroom. And if we can emphasize a point there, Jeff, I think it's, as you said, they would be better off with healthy sexual relations. And individuals who have been involved with pornography, unfortunately, for years and years and years and years, they have a hard time differentiating between healthy sex and what the feeling that they get from pornography. I had a story, I have a story of an individual who was exposed to pornography at age four. And at that young age, he was basically, uh, there was pornographic magazines all over his home. And his mother actually gave him the magazine when she was in another room arguing with his stepfather. 
And so he really, at a young age, was desensitized to pornography. It was basically what he did to escape from what was happening at home. Well, he, as he matures and goes through his teen years, gets uh, married, uh, one of the things that he and I had to work through in our work together was him to see his sexuality as something that could be healthy rather than an escape or something that you use to deal with your stress. But the unfortunate thing is he's now married and he's been married for a few weeks. He gives me a call and says, man, I am really struggling because I'm not able to engage sexually with my wife and feel, feel not, I don't feel... I don't feel comfortable. I feel so much guilt and I feel so much shame. And he had never really learned what healthy sexuality is. And so I had to walk through with him what uh, healthy sexual behaviors and expectations should and could be in a marriage. Because he felt so much guilt when he was sexually intimate with his wife because he couldn't, I mean, it was associated with the guilt he felt with the pornography. He wasn't able to differentiate the two. Right. And they're very different. Like you said, one creates tension, one creates bonding. And so it's very confusing to the body when you're trying to mix them. And I think my biggest desire in uh, wanting to do this, uh, this first part of this series is that a lot of people that struggle with pornography addiction and even their partners believe if we could just integrate this into our marriage, if we could just be comfortable using it, if we could just figure out a way to make it fit with our relationship, then maybe it wouldn't be a problem. Maybe that's the problem, that we don't know how to integrate it. And my message is, is that it's just not necessary. It's not true, and it's damaging and destructive. It's not going to make things better. You don't have to go that way. Pornography is the problem and the effect that it has on the brain and the body and on your intimacy. And uh, we just want people to recognize that they don't need to go that direction to deal with the tension, the trauma, the shame, the guilt, and, and just the overall sense of emptiness they feel because of pornography problems and use. You know, and I think it's important for us to bring up that when a couples, I want to say the word experiment with it together, uh, they never really address the aftermath of that because we know that with some individuals, they are unable to stop once they get started. I mean, it truly is a point where it becomes so overwhelming that they have to, they want more and more and more. And the thing is, is we don't know who that's going to be. I mean, if you take 10 people and they viewed pornography with their spouse, how many of them would be going back to it a few days later without their spouse there if they really were going to start doing this together? How many of them would be doing that? And would their spouse be comfortable with them doing it by themselves? Right. And unless couples understand the reality of that, then they could start something that they don't know how to stop. That's right. Exactly. It's going to start a chain reaction. And and I think on top of that, what's going to happen is um, you know, in a, in a healthy adult attached bonded marriage, you know, I think about my marriage. I, I, I want to be able to reach out to my partner and know that she'll reach back. I want to know that I can turn to her and she'll turn to me and that there's this, this attunement, this connection going on. When you start to create that same kind of attunement and bonding with pornography, which is what happens... You start to look at it. It gives you the same response every time. It becomes a very predictable kind of experience. And then you get back into your marriage and you reach out to your spouse. She's having a bad day. Things are off. It's not as predictable. It takes more work. It feels bad sometimes or you have to work things out. Pornography becomes a very tempting alternative, a counterfeit attachment, if you will, to the marital bond. And it creates a tremendous amount of distance because whether you know it or not, the brain is recognizing that I can feel good 
much easier over here more consistently and more quickly than I can working with this other human being who is more unpredictable and in, in reality more real. And, uh, and, and as a result, you end up with two competing attachments. And it's, it's a huge dilemma and disconnect and creates a lot of tension. So if pornography has entered into your marriage, uh, either you've discovered your partner in it or you guys are considering using it together, I, I think one of the core messages we're saying here is there's many other healthy ways that you can learn and develop a, a, a bond. But that means that if we really separate it out, the, if a man has been exposed to it in early childhood or a woman, either one, if they've been exposed to it in early childhood, they're going to go through their recovery in a very unique way, which, which we're going to have to talk about. And, and, the, and the spouse of that partner is going to also have their own issues that we're going to need to talk about because we have identified that many of these myths, women should be viewing it, they should feel comfortable with it. Uh, other, other myths like men like viewing pornography, well, the research doesn't necessarily show that. They're, many of them, it makes them sick, it makes them nauseous. They're so conflicted with it. It, it, it creates secrecy and tension. And so we start looking at some of these myths. Uh, pornography is not addictive. It doesn't change the marital relationship. Clearly, there's evidence, Jeff, that it does change the marital relationship, and it changes the system. That's right. The men in the system, the women in the system, and the whole system is altered. Whether you've looked at pornography or not, whether you're with somebody who's looked at pornography, you're affected. It will affect the system. And so the message is is that you don't have to buy into the myths. There is help, and you need to start looking at this as something to work on individually and together for the best outcomes. Very good. Are there any other final points you'd like to bring up? Um, I think we've covered the the bulk of it. Um, you know, my biggest wish is that um, if if a couple is is looking at this issue in their marriage, that they consider the myths and the risks. That you know, like anything, like a warning label, th- there are side effects. This is something we have to be educated about, and y- there has to be um, warnings and and so on. It's 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 not being talked about this way again in the popular press and the media. It's being sold or talked about as something that is just harmless. And if anything, enhancing the relationship. And I want to stick big, fat warning labels all over this thing and just say, you have to recognize this thing will affect you in ways that you did not expect. And there are so many more healthy ways. If I could just add to what you just said there, there are so many more healthy, healthier ways that couples can bond and connect. And pornography, if you're trapped in it, there are solutions. And if your partner's trapped in it, there are solutions. And that's the message we really want to get out there. We know that it's destructive because we're at the bottom of the cliff trying to provide CPR, which is really what our next topic is going to be, is marital CPR once a couple's been involved with it. Right. Couples, yeah. Couples are looking for closeness, connection, and intimacy. And there are better ways to get that and healthier ways that don't have these side effects. All right. This has been Dr. Kevin Skinner with Jeff Stewart. We want to thank you for joining us for this first part of strengthening recovery through strengthening marriage, healing from pornography addiction. We'll be uh, with you in another show soon. Thank you. Thank you.